0: You know, I completely ignored the warning signs. I should have have realized that something wasn't right when I drew up into the car lot five minutes before the place opened and there wasn't a spot to be found. What I should have realized and what I found out later because I was completely new at this is that actually all the people who had already parked up five minutes before the place opened were lining up for samples of chili and curry at just before 10 o'clock in the morning. Now, if there is anyone in the room who is lining up for free samples of curry and chili at 10 a.m. in the morning, then we have a special program for you, and it's called Set Free, because you need help. I ignored the warning signals. My wife was extremely excited. We'd never been to this place. We'd never had a membership And now we came equipped with our membership cards and Sarah practically commando-rolled into the shop and I reluctantly followed, not really realizing what was waiting for me. Because not only had we decided to go to Costco on a Friday, we decided to go to Costco and I hadn't actually realized, but on Black Friday. Yes, you all feel sorry for me now. What an incredible place, the stress Of me, I I always thought hell was spelt M A L L. I was wrong because I had a whole new revelation of the the fear and punishment that awaited for me when I went into Costco. Uh, Like, I noticed quickly, and because I I started these things, that everybody who worked there seemed to have a single syllable name. Now, next time you go, for those of you who are Costco addicts, again, set free. the single syllable name, it's almost like it's a prerequisite. It was Mags, Babs, Bob, Jim, Kim, Tim. They were all single syllable. And I was like, why are there only single syllable that are working here? Then I realized it's because the stress level is so high. Nobody's got time to be shouting two syllables across the, across the shop. So if your name is Felicity, or, or you, you're not going to get a job unless you're willing to change your name. You want a 24-pack of gum? over by the kayaks. You want to buy a snowblower? By the men's intimates. You know, it's, it's a crazy place. But here's what happened. I'm walking around Costco and I'm, and I'm realizing that things that I work really, really hard at suppressing and keeping down actually get amped up in Costco. I don't like shopping at any time of the day, especially Black Friday in Costco. I just, I just, that was, it was a nightmare for me. But actually that which I was trying hard to hide, the challenges that I struggle with, the the, the tensions that we all experience, don't judge me, actually start coming to the surface. Christmas is like that. Christmas is like Costco. Christmas is a time where the challenges that we have in the year actually get heightened and and, and they bubble to the surface and become really Really obvious. Now, don't get me wrong, Christmas really is a wonderful time of year. It's an amazing time of year. I love it. It's the best. It's a wonderful time of year for most people. For most people. Because if you've got financial challenges for the rest of the year, Christmas, it bubbles to the surface. It's like Costco. If you struggle and you feel lonely, Christmas is not a great, wonderful time of year. It's a very challenging time of year. Maybe this Christmas, for some of you, and maybe for people that you love and you care about, this is the first Christmas without somebody precious that they love for many, many years. Maybe this is the first Christmas where the family has split, and you're having to deal with that tension. Maybe this is the first Christmas where you're a blended family, and you're having to... Kind of navigate those challenges. Christmas is a wonderful time of year for most people. Christmas also brings memories and challenges up to the surface that we do really, really well to, to control. But at Christmas, Christmas is a wonderful time of year. It's an amazing thing. But it's also a very difficult and and Pastor Phil has already referred to that. It's a very challenging time of year. But I love it. It's this tension, isn't there, around Christmas. But it is wonderful, amazing, beautiful, ultimate, and incredible. Because it points to something that is greater than us, more hopeful than us, more beautiful than anything that we can look at in our world. It points to something incredible. And it pierces the darkness with a light of a hope and of something more something more than maybe what you're experiencing, maybe something more than what you are struggling with, something more than what you observe and, and is tangible in your life. See, Christmas pierces the darkness and points to something incredible. See, Matthew, one of the uh, followers of Jesus, said this, that, he, that, that people living in darkness have seen a great light. He was referring to Jesus, the, the gift at Christmas, he was referring to Jesus. You see, what's wonderful about light when it comes to darkness is there's no mistaking it. And there's this, this wonderful thing that happens where I live. I live in, live in Kettle Valley, uh, up in Upper Mission there. And I don't know if you've ever been at Christmas, but it's an amazing place. And as a Brit, we enjoyed our Christmas decorations. Don't get me wrong, but Kettle Valley goes to a whole other level of lights. And I love lights. Because it points to something coming. There's something, uh, some celebration about to happen and the lights point to it. And when you put your lights on, there's this, there's this warm glow, not only from the lights, but seems to appear inside our hearts as well. Maybe that's just me. Maybe, maybe just the, the, the inner kid comes out at Christmas. I love it. So every year there's this, in, this pressure in Kettle Valley to keep up with the Joneses, if you like. And there are a lot of Joneses in Kettle Valley. They, they really ramp it up. So I don't want to show off. I thought that maybe, you know, I really wrestled whether or not to show you what our house looks like. And I said to Sarah, you know, should I show them? I showed the South and they were very impressed. But 33, you, you guys don't know me as well. But then I thought, you know, no, you know what? I am going to show you what our house looks like. <laughs> if you look very carefully, you can just see an outline of my wife Sarah on the roof. Putting Santa up there. That's pretty impressive. It took me ages, ages. tell you, and the, the, the bills, it's up there, but it's worth it. It's worth it. Actually, no, I, you know, I must admit, and thanks for the laugh, because as soon as you saw it, you knew I wasn't telling the truth, and I'm not. Um, but that I, I literally Googled really big house with lots of lights. Boom. So whoever that is, if you happen to be seeing it on TV, thank you. We're very impressed and, uh, and set free. You're set free for anybody who gets to this level. Lights are beautiful, and we enjoy them. You see, what is beautiful about light at Christmas is light pierces the darkness and it brings hope. Because Christmas is a wonderful time of year for most people, most of the time. And regardless of what it might be that you're experiencing, you see, the light of Christmas, the light called Jesus, pierces the darkness and brings a hope that the world and our culture cannot bring. See, Matthew is quoting a prophecy when he was talking about Jesus. And he said this, The people living in darkness have seen a great light, and on those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Now, you might read that and think, that's not a very Christmassy verse, darkness. You know, the land of the shadow of death. That's a really, that's a difficult verse. You see, Matthew was referring to a time that was an incredibly challenging time. The time when Jesus was born was not a time of this quaint, beautiful, wonderful nativity scene which we, we enjoy and we celebrate even though it's kind of skewed a little bit from reality. The reality is, is that Jesus was born into a time of heightened political uh, and, and, and war. There was, it was, there was a tension in the land. Darkness reigned. There was violence. There was injustice. There was abuse of power. There was children and women being taken off as slaves. There was this really tangible shadow, he refers to, of death. And and, and he says, within that, a light has dawned, families being ripped apart, grief. And, you know, as we think about the time of Jesus, there's a lot that resonates with our time. You know, we look at our country, we look at our world, and we can, we can align what was happening in Jesus' time with what is happening in our time. And on a macro level, it feels dark. And yeah, I've just said Jesus, and Matthew is quoting a prophecy. He says, Jesus comes and he brings a light, this light of hope. And if we're not careful as Christians, and maybe you're just, you're thinking through spirituality. You're on, as Christians like to say, you're on a journey. You know, you're just thinking about God. You're thinking about the divine. You sense that maybe there's something more. You're not quite sure what that looks like or who that looks like. And we as Christians, we continually point to Jesus because Jesus is the light. We believe not just from the Bible, but from reality and our own experience that Jesus brings a light and a hope that pierces the darkness, brings a future hope and divine that you cannot find in culture that actually gives us that same glow. That's what Christmas promises. You see, our lives are filled with problems that we just can't solve. We try really hard, don't we? We try really hard to solve these problems. We try really hard to solve the problems we have in our country and in our in our world. But we stand on history and history says this, that regardless of your ideology or your political stance or what great idea you might have, the tensions don't seem to decrease with our help, they seem to increase with our help. Think about a problem right now, let's just pause just for a second. And I just want you, in your own mind, and in your own heart, and maybe this is just a moment that you listen to the Spirit of the Lord, or maybe if that seems strange to you, you just I just want you to think. Think of a problem in your life. Think of a darkness, if you will, that just seems unsolvable. Just think about that, just for a second. And I want you to think, Have your efforts solved the problem? Not alleviated it, but solved it. Now, I'm not talking about problems that, you know, that are just kind of day-to-day life. I'm talking about family issues. I'm talking about addictions. I'm talking about grief. I'm talking about stuff that feels dark. Maybe that's your experience. Maybe you have a, a situation in your family that, that breaks your heart just thinking about it. And Christmas seems to raise it to the surface. And you've worked so hard. You've written the letters. You've made the phone calls. You've, you've met with them. And, and you feel maybe a short-term relief that maybe this time, this person is going to be different. And, and your optimism increases only to be dashed a little time later. Maybe the conversation you've had has been twisted and changed so that what you actually said is now being spread around completely different. And your efforts, your hard work against the darkness is actually just making it worse. That is what Matthew is talking about. We need something more. We need something brighter, more hopeful, more powerful, more more outside of us. Because here's what I do know about the word hope hope is very different from optimism. Maybe you're optimistic that things will change. Maybe you think, you know what? I'm a smart person. I think I, can, I think I can bring a change to this. And you're optimistic. But you see, optimism doesn't change anything. Hope in something outside of us actually brings change. A few years ago when I was still teaching... Um, we went on a, a special weekend, and it was for uh, trainee head teachers, so teachers that were being kind of earmarked for future head teachers or principals and So we went on these management training weekends, which were quite frankly torture it was see i 've been to set free and i 've dealt with it but We went on these these weekends, and and I actually think it was just revenge. See, people who, um, who work for, we used to call them local education authorities, LEAs, people who work for LEAs, we thought as teachers were just disgruntled, bitter teachers. Who, who kind of then went to work for the LEA and thought of ways to make life hard for the teachers in the classrooms. Now, that was Britain and that was then. I'm not saying that's the case now. So, but these weekends seem to elevate that. We're like, wow, this is just torture. What, what sort of things are we going to be doing? Well, one of the things we did is we were told we were going to go potholing. Now, potholing, for those of you that apparently potholing is an alien alien term because I talked to Chris Newfeld and Curtis and they looked blank at me. And uh, is, 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 I think, um, let's just uh, move on a little bit. You wear one of these, and you go caving. You know what I'm talking about now? Sp- spelunking or something? Ah. Oh. I don't know where that word comes from, but in Britain it's called potholing and, and caving. And so you put these on your head, and you go deep under uh, into, and especially where I was teaching, which was in North Wales, we went into these caves, deep, deep, into the side of the mountains, and it, we walked and walked and walked right into the darkness. And it was brilliant because we had these things in our heads and this wonderful lamp on the front we could see. And we were all laughing and joking. And it was, you know, we were messing around. It was, it was great. And we clambered down things and through things. We were there a long, long time. And then our instructor said this. He said, he got us all in a group and he said, okay. He said, we're going to do something. Are you ready? Yes. He said, I want you all on the count of three. We're all going to switch off our lamps. One, we were all kind of giggling. We thought this was going to be funny. Two, okay, you ready? Three, we clicked. Lights went off. You know, I don't know if you've ever been in darkness where you can literally not see anything, that you just might as well close your eyes because your eyes are straining so hard that you cannot see any evidence of light at all. So you close your eyes, and everybody was kind of laughing and joking, and then slowly... It went quiet because one person said, okay, I can't remember his name. Let's just call him Steve. Okay, Steve, when can we put the lights on? Steve? Steve? Now, we were told not to put lamps on. You know, we're very obedient because we're teachers. We didn't put our lamps on. And then he just said this. He said, what would you do, he said, if the light just went out? You see, what was interesting is we started to analyze what we did. There was a lot of clinging. (laughs) There was a lot of clinging. And then you automatically put your hand out to feel the wall. That was cold and wet and damp because you're deep underground. And he said, okay, now we're going to try and find our way out. So we were literally kind of going along the wall in the hope that all the time, all we wanted, all we needed was light. And then Steve, it was brilliant, I always remember this, he just flicked a match, and he held the match, and the instant, oh, it was really odd, it's hard to explain, the instant hope that came on when he struck that light, and he said, okay, you can put your lights back on then, and then we clicked, and all the lights came back on, and everybody relaxed, it was great. But here's the reality, here's the reality of what life is like, See, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You see, what Jesus was talking about, about himself, and this is the gift of Christmas, is that Jesus brings a light that when it gets so dark, that he brings a tangible presence, a hope. Because here's what we do and please listen really carefully to this and I want to be very careful and loving in how I say this. But when life gets really dark, we reach. So often we reach for somebody. And the reality is that whoever we reach for is also struggling. And oftentimes, the person that we reach for or who we see as an answer, that if this person could be different or if this person can come into my life or if this person would just change, then the light would come on and I would have hope, maybe, just for a little time. But it's optimism because the reality is is the people that we reach to also have the issues and they will let us down as well. So then what do we do? We reach further and we reach for a wall The level of self-medication that people reach for because they are struggling in the darkness is at unprecedented amounts. So whatever that wall, and sometimes it's a cold, dark wall that you're reaching for as an answer to give you some stability, to steady you in the darkness, is going to let you down because that which we reach for, the self-medication, and whatever that self-medication might be, it might be something you see on the internet, I don't want to go into... Huge details. we have children in the room. There's something you reach for for the internet. Or maybe a bottle you reach for. Or some sort of uh, recreational drug. Or can I say this? Sometimes that which we reach for is not bad and nasty. It's actually good. Maybe we reach for an activity or a leisure or a business or a job. But all the time, we're just reaching out into the darkness. And Jesus says this, I am the light. Reach out to me. Because Jesus says, do not fear in a voice, in the darkness, that the world has no equivalent to. Because regardless of what we reach out to, it lets us down. That's well, also awfully pessimistic, Glenn. If it doesn't let us down, that's fine, but it also cannot save us. And we need saving from ourselves. We need saving from the sin we need saving from the issues and the shame and the guilt that we have. And all joking aside, that's why we as a church do have things like Set Free. Where you can actually position yourself so you can gaze upon the light. And the light himself can shine into our light. You see, this, this, you know the, uh, the song, This Little Light of Mine. As cute and funny as that is, actually diminishes the power that Jesus is talking about. That power, that light... Because I know that right now in the room there are people who are struggling with darkness. You know, as I've gotten older, I'm 46 in a month or so time. I'll let you have the date later. Um, My view has shifted dramatically over the last 10 years. I've always been the type of person who was if you want to sort something out, you want to get it done, then you pull yourself up by the bootstraps and you drive and you go for it. You go, go, go. You can achieve whatever you want to achieve. That's the family I've come from. That's my heritage. I come from a long line of entrepreneurial business uh, leaders or, uh, or leaders in the military or in the police. It's just go, go, go. And I always had a very poor view, and I want to, I want to be open with you in the hope that you can understand where I'm coming from. Very poor view of anybody that said that they struggled with anxiety or depression. Because I always had the mindset oh, come on. If you woke up in a bed this morning, you've got nothing to be depressed about. That was my view five years ago. And then God did something amazing in my life. He counted me worthy to allow me to go through a period in my life that actually got very, very dark. And there's only a few people, Phil is one of them, who understands how dark it got. And I'm very grateful that I'm in a church, not I'm just a member, but I'm a pastor in a church that that actually didn't push away from me, but got close to me and supported me and cared for me. And God, I believe, and this is now three, four years ago, allowed me to go through this period where there was actually, it was so dark, it felt like I was in that cave. And you see, pastors don't get to be that way. Because pastors get to stand up here with one of these and tell people and point and go, well, this is how you should live, an example and everything else. So there was this whole mix of stuff going on in my life, this constant cycle of guilt and shame. I should not be feeling this way. And, and I was grateful. I had a great doctor who identified what the issue was. And it was a physical issue that I was able to have treatment for. And it, was, and it took a long time. But you know what the reason was? One of the reasons I believe God allowed me and counted me worthy to go through that is so that when I come along across people that say, you know, I'm struggling with anxiety and depression. I can put my arm around them and go, you know, I know what that feels like. And you can't just pull yourself out of it. It's dark. But here's what I know as a Christian. Please listen to this. There was times I didn't know I was going to make it. And regardless of who around me was saying, you can do this, you can, you know, you're going to make it. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. I... I it, there was a part of me that was like, you know what? If this is what the rest of it is going to be like, I don't know whether I want this. I'm just being honest with you. This is a real Christmassy message. Bear with me. But you know, when you walk into a room, especially at Christmas, and maybe it's like 11 o'clock at night, and your job is to go around and blow out all the candles. I, I like that job. And I go around, and I go into my study, and I have a candle, because I'm a bit mystic and old fashioned like that. I have a candle. And sometimes, you know, when the candle is a little bit older and it just fills up with wax and it's just the tiniest, tiniest little flame. Sometimes that's what Christianity feels like. But the flame is still there. It's still there. And as soon as you go into the room, a dark room, your eyes still go to it. You know, Jesus never left me. He never went out, forgive me for putting it that way. He he never let me down. And there were times when I really questioned, but I am so thankful that Jesus, his promise is that I will come into your life and I am the light of the world and the light of life. And even though you will not you this walk in darkness, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, there's always going to be that, no matter how small it is, no matter how faint it is, that hope that there's going to be something better coming, something more beautiful, something more ultimate. And so as a pastor having come through that and it took me about a year, and I have to say, looking back, it feels like another world because you know that the physical side of things is 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 much improved through just doing practical stuff. So it feels like it's somebody completely different because it's not who I am. But can I tell you, that light never went out. So the question is this: Do you have that? Do you have that light? You see, John, one of Jesus' followers. He wanted to sum up who God was. And John said this, God is love. See, John was one of Jesus' followers. He also happened to be one of the followers that lived the longest. The, the gospel of John, his writing, is, was written one of the later gospels, around about 70 or 80 AD. Here's what's really interesting about John's uh, summarizing of God. See, John would have witnessed all his friends, all the other apostles dying. Not just dying natural deaths, but actually really bad deaths. He would have witnessed some persecution and darkness that would have been overwhelming for you and I. When we talk about anxiety and depression, no matter how real that is, and it is real, the darkness that is in society and in life is is nothing compared to what it was like then. And yet, uh, John still said, God is love. That regardless of the circumstances, he could still say, God is that light. God, no no matter how dark it might feel, friends, he is still that light. He is still present. He is still bringing hope. He is still loving. And we don't, Do that. We struggle with that. What we do is if my circumstances are a certain way, then yes, God loves me. If my circumstances are not a certain way, then I start questioning whether God loves me. And that's not what John did. He said this He said, These things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Life in his name. I might have shared this before, but one of my daughters is called Zoe. And Zoe is a very popular name in Britain. I think it's less popular in Canada. But Zoe actually is a Greek word, and it means life. But it doesn't just mean life. It means to jump up, spin around, and shout for joy. That's what it means. And if you spent some time with Zoe, you'd see that she has that kind of personality and character. So it was a real prophetic thing. Uh, I, I personally think very carefully about children's names. They're really important. And so we prayed Zoe life into her. That's the life that John is talking about. You may have life in his name. And here's, here's the reality, and, and and notice this this is important. That you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So he's almost saying, look, there's two ways you can approach this. You can stop at the believing, and maybe that's you. You know, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. I'm down with all this Christian stuff. That's cool. Yep. But do you have life in his name? Do you have that light? Do you have that hope? That when things go dark, what do you reach for? Do you reach for him? Or do you reach for something that ultimately is going to fail you? You see, John went on and he said this, in him was life and the life was the light of mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And that's the reality when you walk into a dark room that the darkness will not overcome that light. But how? And let me finish this. How do you get to the place where there's that light that shines within you that brings Zoe life, regardless of how dark it is, that even though G- that Christmas is a wonderful time of year most of the time, that, that regardless of how dark it is, that you have that hope, that ultimate, that beauty that you can anchor into that is outside of you. Because I don't know how, how smart you are or how driven you are. You need something outside of you to anchor into. And his name is Jesus. So how do you get that? For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. You see, if Isaiah had stopped at that first part, we would have been left with this whole idea that we need to perform and work hard. You see, if Jesus wasn't a gift... Then we would be working hard in order to gain favor from God, so that we would feel accepted, and then we would, then we would work hard to get more acceptance. and the, the opposite is true that if things aren't going well, we think we're not, not working hard enough. And we get into this cycle, and it's called religion. And it brings oppression and hardship. It's hard work. You will never be good enough. But the reality is is that Jesus was a gift. He was a gift some gifts are really hard to receive you know I read, uh, I read a kind of a cute illustration of this imagine if you were given three presents um, sorry four presents let's make it four the first present was a gift certificate and you open it up and you're all excited and you're like oh a one year gym membership thank you I think that's awesome great Oh, open your other gifts. Okay, so the other gifts seem to be book-shaped. So you open the next gift and, oh, um, a diet book. That's great. Well, maybe I could use my gift certificate as a bookmark in my diet book. Thank you very much. Oh, you've got two more gifts. Great. So you open up your your next gift. It's a book, Um, Aging Gracefully. Thank you. That's brilliant. Maybe I can use that book to do weight training with while I'm at the gym, reading my diet book. Fourth book, you open it, Overcoming Selfishness. Wow, thank you. So let's just get this straight. I am indeed a fat, old, selfish person, and you have pointed this out with these wonderful gifts. Those gifts would be hard to receive, wouldn't they? Let's hope none of you get any of those books this Christmas. They're hard to receive because what they're doing is they're pointing out maybe a reality that's going on in your life that you've not really wanted to, you know, acknowledge. And so somebody's gone, hey, I've acknowledged it a lot and uh, you need all four of these gifts. God bless you. Maybe somebody has given you a gift financially to help you with the debt and that is humbling. And the reality is, is this Gift of Jesus Christ at Christmas. This light that promises to not be overcome by any darkness in your life. And it will feel like it gets dark. Just like at John's time. But his strength, his anchor, his ultimate, his beauty, his constant promise it's going to be okay. In a voice that the culture does not have. It is also difficult to receive. And the reason is this. It starts with realizing that you cannot do it. It starts with realizing that you are reaching for things that ultimately are going to let you down. It starts with realizing that you need him. Because you only reach for him when you acknowledge that you need him. And that's humbling. Because in our culture, and I'm going to finish with this. In our culture, we celebrate strength, power, overcoming we celebrate positivity, you can do this, keep going, you can do it, you can do it. What we don't celebrate is humility, weakness, vulnerability. It's hard for me to stand and explain to you that there was time in my life where I struggled. Because we don't celebrate that as a society. We diminish it, we belittle it, we push it down, we pretend it doesn't happen. Whereas when we bring those things to the forefront and we actually gaze upon what sometimes what feels like darkness in our life... Surely, just like me in that cave, I look for the light. So this gift starts with looking to the light. And that's my prayer for you this year. I preached this last week at at my church. And my prayer this morning is the same for you as it was for them last week. My prayer is this. Let's close our eyes. Father, my prayer for these good people, Lord, is that we would stop trying to fix the darkness ourselves. Lord, my prayer is that, Lord, we would stop reaching out for those things that ultimately are created and fail us. Lord, my prayer is that we would find hope and strength and acceptance and power and light in you, Jesus. And, Lord, I pray that even as I'm stood here right now, just as Phil has already said and prayed, that your sovereign power, Lord, would call and draw people to yourself. That maybe, Lord, there are people in the room. Lord, we all need you. God, people in the room, Lord, who are destined for continual darkness, because, Lord, they have never acknowledged you. Father, I thank you that your word says, it's so simple, that we need to believe that you are Lord and that you died and rose again. And we need to confess it with our mouth. And that, Lord, that we would be saved, that we would be filled with that light. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that that would be someone's testimony this morning. And Lord, I pray for the Christians in the room. Lord, I pray that we would be constantly reminded that your gospel is something we need every day, not just one event several years ago. That your love, your gift, your joy, your sacrifices is real now today, burning bright as it was when we first came to know you. So Lord, I pray you would fill them with your spirit now. I really believe that there's someone who really do believe that they're just sat in a really dark room struggling to see the light and maybe it just feels like your faith is that flickering candle well be encouraged brother be encouraged sister The darkness will not overcome it. Lord, I pray. Lord, for those who feel like they're sat in that room, maybe they've actually sat in a closet or in a dark place, physically despairing. Lord, I pray for that brother. I pray for that sister. God, that they would find hope in your light. And Lord, I pray that you would burn brighter by your own sovereign power, Lord. Nothing that they have to do, but Lord, as they put their attention upon you, that you just get more and more beautifully bright. Thank you for your promise, Lord. Hallelujah.